Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the Donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. Good morning, Portico Streetsville. Happy Mother's Day. And to those of you online, and uh, happy birthday. Uh, happy birthday. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. I know Mom is, I think Mom is watching online today, so I better watch what I say. And um, it's great to be here, and all of you moms. Of course, we wouldn't be here without you moms. So, uh, and your love and your, uh, how you cherish us and, and boost us in the arm and cheer for us in the background and um, even correct us in the moments we need it. God bless you, and uh, it's a privilege to, to be here today and share with you. Uh, we've spent the last several months since September over at uh, Portico Discovery, and it's um, a real privilege to work with uh, the leadership team and uh, create another campus and um, adopt another family into our Portico community. And uh, it's been a privilege to get to know the Portico Discovery people. They are a lot like all of us, and yet they bring a uniqueness to us that I think complements even more who we are across the city, and it just makes it uh, that much more exciting as uh, God continues to lead us in what he's doing. We're starting our uh, series on contradictions this month. We're going to be focusing on uh, the contradictions that James, the writer of the letter of James in the New Testament, the brother of Jesus, and the leader of the Jewish Christian community, focuses on in that sense of chapter 2, uh, that uh, the contradictions and the mixed messages that we deal with in our culture and our relationships, how do we deal with those things? And today we're looking at uh, man's kingdom versus God's kingdom. Man in the sense of encompassing all of humanity, humanity's kingdom, and God's kingdom. How do we make sense of those two since we seem uh, to be living in both? Well, since it's Mother's Day, I was thinking about what the kingdom looks like according to mother. You ever thought of that? What does the kingdom of mom look like? And uh, this this list that I'm going to share with you today is obviously my list, has to do with uh, the moms in my life, especially my mom, my grandmother, and, uh, and, and mom, forgive me. If... Anyways, kingdom of mom in my world. Uh, food is the event of every day, right? Uh, everything revolves around food. Life is about food. Everything else it takes a step back, contributes to the food event. I remember we were uh, in a trip in Italy, we were doing a cooking class, and the woman that was showing us how to cook, she said, here, here we have three things, and it's funny the order she made them in. We have food, we have family, and we have church. Isn't that incredible order? Food, family, and then church. That's kingdom of mom for me. That's, that's where I come from. As much as you can pay for everything with cash, right? Cash, credit is bad. Her purse is like a walking steel safe. I mean, good luck to the one who tries to get a hold of her cash. Kingdom, according to mom, don't trust anyone, not even your father. I'm the only one who really cares for you. 
And I remember the one time my dad lost me in the mall, my mom comes to me and says, see, I told you, he doesn't love you. Everyone wears the appropriate attire for every occasion, event, season, and life situation. I I, I love it. Asking mom for my opinion. Mom, what do you think of this? Well, it's okay. It's it's all right, right? And and I know it's not right. It's not right at all. In fact, this morning I was thinking of going untucked and thinking of my mother. I thought, no, I better tuck. She's going to be watching online. So mom, I tucked. There you go. Um... The more children you have, the more chauffeurs you have to drive you around wherever you need to go. Although my mom didn't do such a good job, she only had two children. Every heartache can be soothed by a warm blanket and an incredibly soft pillow. That's what you get in the kingdom of mom, at least my kingdom of mom. Everyone that refuses the kindness of another is both a fool and a reprobate. This was true for my mother and my grandmother. I won't tell you the words they used to describe these people. Every scrape, cut, bruise, and bump can be soothed with a hug. Run to mom and she'll give you a hug. Kingdom of mom. Absolutely no tolerance for any roughhousing, cynicism, ribbing and jibing, calling names, selfishness, greed, rudeness, filthiness, and unhygienic behavior. Your father hasn't learned this yet. Just ignore him. (laughs) Kingdom of mom, when I call you, it's for a reason. I didn't call to just shoot the breeze. Oh, hang on a second. My phone... Oh, it's my mother. Hang on. Hey, Mom, I'm just in the middle of... Oh, okay. Yeah, don't talk about your father like that. Okay. Yeah, okay. All right. I'll have to leave out the next one. (laughs) Never leave the house with at least several plastic bags strategically stored on your person just in case. And I have seen this. We're in the rain, absence of an umbrella, plastic bag works really well. (laughs) Everyone should have a green thumb and make their yards and homes look beautiful. (laughs) Kingdom of mom, right there. Kingdom of mom. Lydia Bastianich, she's the only real cook on the Food Network. Everyone is really bad, and especially Bobby Flay, he's the worst. Lydia and I were friends in Italy. We learned to cook the same dishes. That's kingdom of mom. And then, of course, the world is simply better when everyone gets along, loves each other, and looks out for one another. Kingdom of mom. Kingdom of mom is a little like the kingdom of God. In the sense that in the kingdom of God, there's no preferences, there's no favoritism, there's a sense of equality. We talked about inequities in our pressure point series. There's no inequities in the kingdom of God. And where we want to zero in on in the letter of James is James chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. I'm going to read them for you. You can follow along. I'll be reading in the NIV. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. 
If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but you say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but you do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. In the same way, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help us. Father, help us as we look into these words of James, words that he wrote that were true about who you are and that you inspired so that we might receive them in such a way that help us, Lord, in the contradictions of our life, deal with trying to live out the kingdom of God as we live in the kingdom of man. Lord, give us wisdom through James' words today, we pray. Amen. The big idea here this morning is this, is that we should be defined by a kingdom that honors everyone in a consistent attitude of love. That's the big idea of these verses for us this morning. And James points it out in this passage in terms of that this kingdom is a kingdom where, and the first point, if you're following along in your notes or on the app and online, Avoid favoring those that advance us. Avoid favoring those that advance us. The first verse there in chapter 2. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? Favoring certain people over others is not in keeping with the Spirit of Christ is not in keeping with the Lord James is describing that we have, who has called us that we are defined by. The reality is, is that it just creates divisions. In James's context, in the early Jewish community, as the Jewish Christian community starts to emerge, James emerges as its leader, the leader of this Jewish Christian community. It was viewed as a sect as a marginalized group in the greater Jewish community. But this community found Jesus Christ and felt that Jesus was the culmination of their Jewish faith. And in that sense, they lived it and modeled it as Jesus did. James, being the brother of Jesus himself, having seen Jesus, having walked with Jesus, having witnessed the resurrection, James is leading this community for a sense of unity. There's a similarity here to what James is saying and what Paul the Apostle says to the Corinthian community. In chapter 3, verse 3 and 4, Paul says this to the Corinthians, Aren't you living like people of the world? 
When one of you says, I follow Paul, and the other says, I follow Apollos, aren't you acting just like people in your city and in your world? That community favoring one person over another, saying that this person is more valuable than that person. It expressed itself in Corinth in that Christian community at the common meal. They would have a common meal to celebrate the Lord's Supper, to remember Him and to remember what He taught them. And when they celebrated, there was such division that was so notable as they had the meal. Rich people would come and they would bring lots of food because they had means. And then the poor of that community would come and they would bring their meager elements and they would watch the rich people gorge on all the food they brought and they would be left with their little elements. And Paul says... Is this in keeping with the community of Christ? That's right. No. It's not in keeping with it. It actually betrays the kingdom of God. In Matthew, we see uh, the mother of James and John. And God bless James and John's mother, right? She wants her boys to succeed. They have found this wonderful rabbi who has uh, given them a foundation, right? She's seen the change in her boys, and she wants her boys to succeed. And she goes to Jesus, and she says to him, Who of my sons is going to sit at your left hand and at your right hand in the kingdom when it comes? (laughs) God bless her, eh? God bless moms. Moms will go give the prime minister an up and down to make us a place, right? Moms are not afraid of anything here. And this mom was not afraid to try and make a path for her sons. But Jesus says this to her. In my kingdom, the way we lead is by serving, by being servants in the sense. And uh, who's on the left and who's on the right is immaterial in God's kingdom. In God's kingdom, everyone is equal, everyone contributes. In Paul's letter to the Philippian community, when he describes the character we should take on, the character of Christ, he says this, don't be selfish, chapter 2, verse 3 of the Philippian letter. Don't be selfish, don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. It's the principle of the kingdom of God. It's the attitude of Jesus. And when we behave divisively, we actually slander the name of Jesus, says James. We are blasphemous in misrepresenting him. We uh, pass him off as somebody that he's not. Jesus does not advance those that advance him. In fact, Jesus advances those that are against him. Those that go against him have want nothing to do with him. He still advances them. It speaks about who he is. It speaks about how different his kingdom is from God's kingdom. Well, we see this biblically. We see what happens when a parent favors one child over the other. We see it in the story of Jacob and Esau in Genesis. Jacob's mother saw how her father Isaac, or his father Isaac, uh, ignored him and showed favor to Esau. And so she decided to show favor to Jacob. And it created strife between the boys. Jacob and Esau hated each other because of the favoritism the parents showed. But God is very different. I remember when my grandmother passed away, she was very sneaky about how she made us feel special. I remember that um, I was asked to do the eulogy for 
her funeral, and as I gathered stories from my cousins during the funeral home visits, uh, I remember telling my cousin the story of how every time I went over to Grandma's, you know, Grandma said that I was, I was her favorite. I, I was Grandma's favorite. I knew it because she said that to me. And my cousin said, no. Whenever I went to Grandma's, she said I was her favorite. You're not her favorite. I'm her favorite. And then two cousins come over and, and see me and my cousin, you know, going back and forth. And, and they overhear us and they say, no. Grandma said I was her favorite. You're not her favorite. And all of a sudden it dawned on us that she gave us all the same line. Sneaky grandma, eh? But God is like that. God considers all of us his favorites. Look at the lengths he goes to for you and I. The cross is the example of the extent of the love of God in our lives. The love of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit for you and I. Proverbs 22 says this, Rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. He is our Father. He does not promote division, but He promotes unity. So James talks about the foundation of this. Where do we go for the foundation of this? And the second point here in your notes, and if you're following online or on the app, is this. James says, show favor through God's law of love. Show favor through God's law of love. Chapter 2, verse 8 in the letter of James you really, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, then love your neighbor as yourself. This is the right thing to do. This is in keeping with God's law. Now, law is an interesting thing, isn't it? And it's important, I think, that you understand what James means by law here. What James means by law can be several things. When we read the biblical writers talk about law. It could mean the Ten Commandments, or in Hebrew, they're called the Ten Words, or the 613 laws that are found in the Torah, or the Pentateuch itself, the first five books of the Bible, or Scripture in general. The reality is, is that when the biblical writers talk about law, they're talking about God's words to us. What God has said to us They call it law. But you see, it's not contract law. Contract law says this, that we agree as two parties that you will do this, and if you will do that, then I agree to do this. And the contract says that if either one of us break what we agree to do, then we can litigate against each other, and we get get compensation for what you didn't do for me or I didn't do for you. God's law is not contract law. God's law is covenant law. Covenant law is very different. Covenant law does not separate law from the character of God as Father, Son, and Spirit. Father, Son, and Spirit want us to thrive. That's why they created us. That's why they put us on this earth. That's why they put us in community. They wanted us to experience what they had and what they have and continue to have. 
And the law, God's words, are a part of that covenant. Covenant law. Covenant's law says, I will do this regardless. It's relational law. It's familial law. It's law of family. Otherwise, why would the psalmist say in Psalm 119 that I delight in the law of the Lord and it guides me by day and by night? He's not talking about contract law. Any of you get jazzed about income tax law? Anyone? Oh, come on, there's got to be at least one accountant here that loves income tax law. No. We don't get jazzed about that stuff. We, 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 we dread it, right? We dread tax time. Nobody takes delight in that stuff. So why would the psalmist delight in contract law? He's delighting in the fact that the words of God are life to him. That's what covenant law looks like. And you see, loving moms, as an illustration here, care for us and give us advice, not because we have a contract with them, right? I gave you life, so you owe me. It may feel like that sometimes. But moms don't have that kind of contract with their kids. The kind of relationship moms have is a covenant. You're my child. No matter where you go, no matter where you are, no matter whether you phone me or not, I will always love you. That's the law of God. The law of God is like that. Picture how this law then works in your life that puts us in covenant with the Trinity. My mother, in the middle of winter, I'm a teenager, I bring my buddies over, they enjoy coming to my house because there's always lots of food. And they love my mom's pizza and they love my mom's, you know, pasta. But as we're heading out the door and I'm flying out the door with an open jacket in the middle of winter, she's running after me with a scarf. Mom, yes, you know, you did this. Running after me with a scarf saying, you know, Luch, put a scarf on. And me thinking, what are my friends thinking? My mother doting on me, right? But my mother was willing to look bad in front of my friends because she loved me and wanted to do an act of love towards me. God, in the same way, is willing to be misunderstood to go to the lengths to show us his love that is housed in his character, that is housed in his law, that is housed in his person, that is housed in the Father, Son, and Spirit. And this is the law of King Jesus. Jesus comes to earth and shows us this as well. Jesus says in Matthew, in the, in the Beatitudes, in that Sermon on the Mount, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them. I've come to fulfill them. Now, he's not talking about contract law. He's talking about covenant law. Remember, he just finished saying uh, statements that actually reinterpreted the law. You know that it says, he says to the Jews listening, which was references to the Torah... But I say unto you, verily, verily, I say unto you, King James Version, but I tell you the truth, NIV Version. He rewrites the law so that we see it through the person of the Father. 
And when we see it through the person of the Father, it takes a totally different character. Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment is in Matthew 22. And he responds with this. He says, the greatest commandment is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first, and it's the greatest commandment. And then he said the second one follows right after, and that's this, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets, they hang on. All the law, you hear him? All the law hangs on these two things. Love God, love others. And keeping this law, says James, is key to keeping life and to keeping life that honors God and honors everyone else. God the Father wants us living in his household. And in that sense, when you live in the Father's house, then the rules of the house are tempered by his character. If you grew up in a, in a, in a house with a very strict father, the environment of law-keeping in that house take, took on the character of that father. But in the Father's house, the Father of Jesus, our Father, when you're in that house, His character tempers how we keep the rules because the rules stem out of love. Have you ever noticed that milk and cookies always taste the best at Grandma's house? You ever notice that? I had the privilege of living close to Grandma and Grandpa on my, on my mother's side. And... Um, I don't know, there was something about sitting at grandma's table in her kitchen and she'd pour you a cup of milk and she'd give you cookies. Now, we had the same milk at home. It was no different than at grandma's house. Grandma had the same cookies. And if if I'm really honest, grandma's were even a little stale. (laughs) But for some reason... They tasted better at grandma's house. Why? Because grandma was there. It was grandma's sharing with me that makes the difference. Following the law of God can only be followed well when you follow it in the house of the Father. Because if we follow it outside the house of the Father, it goes from being covenant law to contract law. All of a sudden, it demands all kinds of things. All of a sudden, it wants to control everyone and everything. It becomes not like the Father. If you want to know how to keep covenant law, then keep it in the Father's house, orienting ourselves to the Father's character, to who He is. The law always tastes the sweetest, says the psalmist in the house of the Lord, where we get clarity and we get oriented to who we are. If you want to know yourself, if you want to truly know who you are, then go to the Father's house because the Father gives us the clarity regarding that. Well, we shouldn't be divisive advancing those that advance us. And James says the, in order to do that, we need to focus on this law of love. And then the third point here is this. The law that sets us free governs our action 
toward others. The law that sets us free, this law we just talked about in point two, it governs our actions toward others. Chapter 2 of the letter of James, verse 12 to 13, speak and act, says James, as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Do you hear him? Not contract law, covenant law. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that brings freedom. You know what that looks like? When we get out of line, the law tells us our truth. And then it forgives us. He forgives us. David, King David felt that way in Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose sins are forgiven. Blessed is the one whose sin is never counted against him. But when I dwelt on my sin and I refused to go to the Lord, my, my heart wasted away. My mouth was dry as the desert. My mind lacked the clarity. And I felt that the Lord was against me. But then I said to myself, the Lord is loving, the Lord is accepting, and I will go to the Lord and I will confess my sin. And when I went to the Lord and I confessed my sin, He forgave me. He forgave me. That's what the law of life looks like. It doesn't take life away. It gives life back. The law that sets us free. Paul the Apostle talks about this in his letters. To speak and act, says Paul, in the same way that freedom has come to us. In Romans 8 verse 2 he says, Through Jesus Christ the law of the Spirit who gives life has set us free from the law of sin and death. The law apart from God brings sin and then brings death. It turns into contract law. But the law in relationship with God, causes the Spirit to bring life to you and I. So how do we live in light of this law? Well, we live this way, that we refrain from being judgmental. James says that judgment produces judgment. Seeking revenge produces more revenge. When you seek out revenge, guess what, guess what happens? The reciprocal happens. The other party wants to seek out their revenge against you so that you then seek out their revenge against them and then they seek out their revenge against you. It's a vicious circle. Human history is populated with that behavior. And in the kingdom of God, we don't take revenge. We don't judge one another. In fact, we see an equality amongst one another. And that is that we're all equally disadvantaged. <laughs> all equally incapable of being faithful. All equally incapable of keeping the law of love that God has given us. And in Romans 1 and 2 where Paul has that list of how people have drawn away from God, they, they uh, have gone and done things. And you know Paul's list of sins, when you read them, are, are, he includes all kinds of things in, in intensity about our faults. And he says that none of us have the right, none of us have the right to point the finger against one another because we are all in the same boat. And he reminds the readers, don't you know how tolerant, how kind, and how patient the Father truly is. If you knew that, you would never point the finger at one another. 
James says it's better to show mercy because mercy triumphs over judgment. Cain felt the danger of having murdered his brother by knowing in that ancient world that what was demanded of him was an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So he evaded the Lord's question to him when he said, where is your brother, Cain? God the Father knew what had happened. And he said to Cain, Cain, I'm going to mark you because I don't want anyone to take out revenge on you. I will protect you if you stay close. And yet Cain could, was so overwhelmed with his own sense of guilt, so overwhelmed by what he did, that he could not stay close to God, so he went east, away from the garden, which was in the west, that ancient configuration of the world, and he began the lineage of fallen humanity as they built cities that were named by them. But God's response to Cain's murder of his brother was, stay close to me. I will protect you. I will guard you. I will make sure nobody takes out revenge on you. Mercy always triumphs over judgment. And James makes a very, very strong statement here. He actually equates the breaking of the law of love with committing murder and committing adultery. You see the example there he uses. He says it's not loving others is not keeping the whole law. It's like this, he says. It's like if you murder but don't commit adultery, you have broken the whole law. And if you commit adultery but you haven't murdered, you have broken the whole law as well. The rationale is the law asks you to love. It's the greatest commandment. It tempers the entire law. And if you break it, you break the entire law. It's a strong statement, isn't it? When he equates it with that. You see, the reality is, and the message for us this morning is this, is that we should be defined by a kingdom that honors everyone in a consistent attitude of love, following the law of love that comes through Jesus Christ as it has been interpreted to us in light of the heart of the Father. And we should live according to Jesus' interpretation of this covenant law, not contract law. This is God's kingdom. So how do we relate to one another in terms of our guilt? How do we relate to one another in terms of our sense of judgment? That what we feel, well, I couldn't put it into better words than Friedrich Beekner here. Listen to this. He says this, in order to break the circuit of judgment, we need friends before whom we can put aside the disguise, trusting that when they see us for what we fully are, they won't run away screaming with, if nothing worse, laughter. Our trust in them leads us to trust their trust in us. In their presence, the fact of our guilt no longer makes us feel and act out our guiltiness. For a moment, at least, the vicious circle stops circling and we can step down onto the firm ground of their acceptance where maybe we'll be able to walk a straight line again. How do we respond to each other's faults? It's like what mothers do. They just give a big hug. They grab a blanket and the softest pillow you could imagine. And they comfort. 
And our role, people, is not to exact contract law towards each other. Our role is to love one another. That is the law of God. That is the law of Christ. It's the spirit of which we need to live in. It's the spirit of how, do you understand? Do you understand that we can free one another from the sense of guilt? By how we respond to one another in keeping with the spirit of Christ. We have that ability as a community. And I don't know about you, but we need this inside our community. But our culture needs it so desperately. So desperately. To know that they are equal. The same as you and I. Fully loved. Created by God to thrive. And knowing that if they join God's kingdom, if they live in the community where God's kingdom rules, that they will live in this love forever. Forever. I pray that our portico communities across Mississauga be communities of love, compassion, where we free other people, free them of the guilt they feel by showing the love of Christ to them. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for these words of James. Thank you, God, for what they mean to us how you inspired them, Lord, so that even after all these years and centuries, we read these words and we're reminded, Lord, of what the focus is. The focus is, is that you, Lord, want us with you to live in proximity to you so we can know who we are. We can know how to live. We can know how to be in unity with each other, how to raise our children, how to raise our communities, how to be loving, how to be restoring. God, may this be a continuing reality for us. May we continue to learn more and more how not to be judgmental, but how to be profoundly loving to one another in keeping with the love you showed us on the cross and the resurrection. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.